What song are you the most excited to play on your wedding playlist? Like for the dance party specifically. Yeah. I don't care about like the ceremony. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know because the thing with creating a playlist is it ends up like washing out a little because you've got to accommodate everyone. Yeah, you can't you know? play like, like my Carly mother, Rae Jepsen my or mother, like any thirsty music right. when your mom's there. You know, my mother is in the crowd. Like my grandmothers are there, you've got to like pick some, you know, you've got to pick some good stuff. I mean, obviously Toto by Africa. See, is <laughs> Nick had that on the playlist, and I made him Africa take it by off. Toto, excuse, excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I made him take that off. Yeah. Um, I also made him go down from seven Michael Jackson songs to five. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's a good move. Yeah. It's just mostly it's mostly kind of just devolved into kind of the the standard you know mm-hmm. white person wedding hits. Save you a know. horse, ride a There's, cowboy. <laughs> there is going to be save a horse, ride a cowboy. Um, you need it. You need it. I'm sorry. Do you think I like having it? No. Do you think probably any, do you think actually? Any, <laughs> do you think anyone likes having that song? No one likes that song. You just have to have it. Hmm. I don't know. You got to have Wagon Wheel. We are not with... having either. Are you having the Darius Rucker version I don't or know. the older one? I have no idea, Ugh. to be honest. All right. We're doing a lot of like <laughs> 70 stuff. So like I had to remove a lot of Parliament Funkadelic and like James Brown because I was like, I don't want PCP anywhere near my wedding. <laughs> um, but we did keep a lot of Earth, Wind and Fire. Uh-huh. We kept, good. you know, we kept a yeah. lot of a lot of that stuff. Yeah. So well, good. Yeah. We've got some impressions we've got of also of course semi-sonic mm. for closing time because what else are you gonna closing clo- time yeah good yeah you gotta yeah just, yeah because yeah. yeah. you can't stay here that'll um, be the last thing i ever sing on this show by the way so i hope you all enjoyed that um <laughs> we've also got uh what else we're playing backstreet boys and christina aguilera not in sync and britney spears which i feel like wrong. is a very political it's statement. very political and you're on the wrong side of history for doing it um but from that point we should probably say welcome to this episode of print run my name is Eric Hain. With me, as always, is Laura Zatz. Say hello, Laura. Hello, Laura. Um, so we've got kind of a fun episode today, I think. Um, we've got kind of a new thing we're going to try out, you know, that we're going to kind of hopefully bring in a few episodes from now as well. If you stop um, swimming, you die. So we're always <laughs> always bringing something new. We're nothing if not an aquatic bird, so we will be <laughs> just paddling along toward our own deaths. Um, but before we get to any of that fun stuff... Um, how about the basic rundown? Yeah, so we have our synopsis episode coming to you tomorrow. This will be what our second or third synopsis round. I actually I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's, I've e- it's done, either our second we've or done third, it at least once, which is important because synopses are the thing that you actually like have to keep doing as a mm-hmm. career writer versus mm-hmm. like a query. Yeah. Um. So it's actually very important. So if you would like to take a listen. Make sure that you're a patron on Patreon. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got the links all over the place, but we will relink it on social media on various places. Um, please also note that we will be starting up our first pages and our query episodes for next month. So send those to us. We're at printrunpodcast at gmail.com. Finally, um, the reason that we're we've got 
weddings on the brain is because Eric is going to his bachelor party this weekend. Oh, man, uh, I'm so die. we. <laughs> Just- It's not a good thing when he drinks too much, folks. And he's going to California, and it's going to be a whole big thing. So he's coming back on Monday. So we will be recording on Tuesday and releasing on Wednesday rather than recording on Monday and releasing on Tuesday. You know, there's a version... There's a version of this show where we could have simply said, well, it's Labor Day, so we're going to record on Tuesday instead of... I like, want the people to c- know you're going to have a gigantic <laughs> we hangover. We could have skipped all of this. It could have just been perfectly... Could it could have been perfectly professional. I don't um, know if I believe that. We could have chosen to do any number of reasonable things. I get to um, do that because you announce every time I transition. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Um, yeah, so that'll be good. I'm definitely going to learn about how old I am compared to how old I used to be mm. um which is like i feel like most of the point of any sort of get together with old friends i'm um, to sort of learn about how you've all kind of turned into cranky middle-aged men correct um so that's good and basically most activities i enjoy at this point in my life revolve around reminding myself about how cranky i've become mm-hmm. so um, napping that's true. yelling at the tv writing, screen writing all of it yeah yeah no all those things um all those things exist to remind me of my own mortality and this is simply a long line in that great tradition um yep. so Anyway, that's exciting. Yeah. But we'll be, we'll be a day late next week. Yep. Also, I should mention um, that Eric and I are getting married two weeks apart. Uh-huh. Uh, so tail end of September up to the middle of October. Um, and so we will be releasing kind of evergreen episodes then, um, whether that is a lot of like Q&As or if it's t- talking about sort of an evergreen topic, let us know. But we don't want to leave you in the lurch for a couple of weeks there. So if you have requests or ideas that aren't quite as topical, let us know. So we will record those early for you because Eric might be on his honeymoon and I might be like struggling to like <laughs> zip up the back of my dress However, we will still have that hashtag content for you. Um, so speaking of hashtag content. We came up with a thing. You, well, you came up with a thing. Well, I got, ex- I got excited today. It's, it's because you always are looking for an excuse to have like your little lace hanky that you can like wave in the wind <laughs> and like tell people what you think. Yeah. So tell the people what our new segment is. Um, well, so it kind of um, it's born of this idea that mostly at our core, mm-hmm. you and I are here for the messy stuff. Yeah. We like drama. Yeah. We thrive on gossip. Yep. Um, I love giving opinions about things <laughs> that like I have that, like, nothing don't to involve do with. You. Yeah, exactly. Yes. It's perfect. Um but so we wanted to kind of take a page out of that and we're gonna start our basically on air advice column. And so the point of this is basically gonna be we want you to email in any sort of situation related to related to the book world, please, and at least at least tangentially. I mean, it could be what colored chino should I wear to this event? Yeah, no, that counts. Or like, you know, we mentioned, you know, if you need to like own your in laws uh, with a passive aggressive book recommendation, like that's the kind. Of, you know, we're here for that. <laughs> um, but we want we want your qualms, we want your gripes, we want whatever specific thing in your book or writing life that is bothering you, and you must simply seek help from the outside world. Um, we want you to email us, and we're going to start doing as frequently as we can. We'll start probably make – we're going to do a few of them this week, but we'll probably make, you know, sort of a small segment out of it in most episodes where we kind of take, you know, a particularly interesting or juicy or bizarre question from someone's book life mm-hmm. and see if we can't just, you know, help them struggle through it a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I'm excited about it. What are we it. calling this segment? 
You know, we've I've seen some things bantered around someone. Um, a good friend of mine, Harry Marks, we'll call him out on the show. He's Harry a, Marks! He's a good lad. Um, he suggested to loon at May concern, mm. um, which I like. I haven't completely wed myself to it yet. I thought I also invented that from scratch <laughs> but it turns out that harry beat me by a few hours yeah uh so yeah. i feel real bad about that well um but yeah it could be dear loon like dear abby or yeah. dear prudence yeah um, um so anyway we're working on that if you have a good title if you'd like to just plan our episodes for us that'd be great if you'd like to just help me get ready for my day i clearly need an adult help me help you <laughs> um Feel free to email us, printrunpodcast at gmail.com, and we can start kind of doing, you know, and um, I guess one thing about it that I do want to be different is, like, we do, like, ask print run sometimes mm-hmm. on the show and online especially, and I want this to be separate from that. Like, you know, we give a lot of advice on, especially in the special episodes, on, like, query tips and how to pitch and how to kind of get your first page right. Or and, specific, like, hey, you're an agent, should I do this or this? Yeah, 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 like, that kind of stuff. That's not the point of this. This is, like more existential more nuanced like this is where you know your feelings have gotten involved (laughs) and we're here to help you work through them and self-actualize in a way that we hope can be useful um so that said um should we get to our first one for this week are you ready i'll read it to you oh oh i love okay i'm I'm very excited um this this will be my reading voice i mean if you guys don't listen to the first pages or query show um we do a lot of reading there many many people have complimented eric on his reading voice and says that (laughs) like have said that he like has a career in like real radio or should do audiobooks ironically audiobooks which i like rail against on and (laughs) nobody has ever said anything nice about my speaking voice I think your speaking voice is lovely, Laura. Thank you, Eric. Yeah. Now read the goddamn the- question. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Um, this letter begins, My dear Loon, I've been making author friends on Twitter, many of whom are self-published. I avoid the pushy ones, but most are friendly and avoid the sales pitch. Recently, one of the friendly ones has subtly hinted for me to check out his novel. He's cool, but his work isn't. I could tell from the first three pages that it needed more work before he published it. I danced around his nudge, and he hasn't asked again, but now he's offering to beta-read my novel. What do I say? Ooh. So we've got a classic situation here yep. of, like, I mismatched. like this person, yeah. but they're they're bad. And just, like, mismatched, like, mutual critique writer situation. Right. Where, yeah, you meet someone cool, you know, you like them, and then they start, you know, you do the whole, okay, yeah, we'll swap work thing, and then you just don't like their work at all. Mm-hmm. Which happens a lot, by the way. <laughs> That's the thing that exists in the world. So how would you, how would you navigate it? Well, so my first thing, I feel like there's a couple of different problems here. Number one is that this dear writer has not checked out this dude's novel beyond just like deciding it's bad. Mm-hmm. Right. And option number two yeah. is is that he wants to create a forward moving relationship. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like you can separate these things out to make it not awkward. Mm-hmm. Um, so number one is how do you tell your friends that you haven't read their books? Well, one is that, that is you ignore one. it. Yeah. Um, one is that you ignore it. Uh, and, you know, whenever anybody mentions it or is like, I'm not sure if you read it, but, <laughs> you know, you can just be like, ah, you know, like I am like six years behind on my TBR pile. I have it. Like, I'm so excited to get to it and just do that forever until you die. Yeah. 
Um, which is how publishing works. Change like, your name. Like the, yeah. that's the, that's kind of the wonderful thing about publishing is that everybody like this is true. Like whether people are saying this just to get you off their backs or not, like everybody actually does have a TBR pile that will be with them until they die. Mm-hmm. And there are just books that they're just never gonna get to. Yeah, you know what I mean. And it's like I feel like we're all enough in that same boat that he's not like unless he's weirdly pushy and weirdly salesy like you've already said that he's not he's not going to like keep asking you if you've read the already published novel well we've also got a situation here where you've got someone who and this is kind of a classic inner writer discussion thing like a classic power move here where someone offers to beta read your novel Mm. right like where someone's like no no let me help you Mm. you know Mm -hmm. and that one is it's an annoying request, but it's also one that I think is a little bit more easily dodged because you can simply say that you've got um, – you know, you can you can often hide behind just pretending you're really unsure about it. Yeah. You can say, well, you know, I've shown it to some other people already. I know that it needs some work. Maybe once I'm done, you know, revising, you know, I can get it to you. Or, or even just saying that you've already gotten enough feedback, you know, and you don't want too many cooks in the kitchen. Right, you're trying to figure out what to do. Basically, you need to make yourself sound as hapless as possible. This is like the <laughs> possum strategy. Okay, <laughs> you want to appear dead, and so so basically, what you're doing with wedding planning? <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you want to just basically come off as like scattered as possible and as though you're inundated with all this other advice that you simply have to make sense of. And it couldn't possibly be helpful to have another searing bit of sharp critique from this clearly brilliant person who has offered to help you. Um, So that's a good dodge, I would say. So throwing my hat in the ring, though, Mm -hmm. with like maybe you don't want to like maybe you're actually looking for betas and you don't know if you should dodge this or not. Well, Mm -hmm. first of all, I should say that a beta read happens so early on in the process that the fact that this author didn't, you know, do the line and copy edits that were required to make their book really, really solid doesn't necessarily mean that they will be poor critique for your book. Like, maybe they'll say something really insightful. Um, You know, there's also kind of, like, a little bit of a mitzvah there that, like, the idea is, is that... If he beta reads your book, the idea or like the implicit agreement is that someday you will beta read his. Yeah. See, that's, um, the, that's what I think. And so maybe like it would be a good thing for you, like for this next project, if you're open to beta reading this next project that he's working on to be like, you know, buddy, I think that this isn't strong enough yet. And I think this, this and this. And he can either take that feedback or leave it. Um, but you <sighs> will have already established that kind of positive relationship. Um, you know, and just in general, like uh, some people are not good at writing, but they're really good at critique and vice versa. Lots of people and so are like, that. like yeah. think more about like, do I value his opinion with other books? Like, do I value his taste? Mm-hmm. Do I value how he interacts with other people's media and kind of think about whether you need another set of eyes? And if you do, I would say, sure, go for it. Because like, just because somebody published like a shitty first book doesn't mean that they always will be a shitty writer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just a question of like, you know, it sounds like this, you know, this person wants to kind of wants to be friends, but doesn't want this sort of back and forth creative work relationship with this person. And I would just say the key there is just to keep talking about other things. 
Just anytime yeah. they say, hey, how's, you know, can I look at your book? You just start bringing up whatever album you listen to. Yeah. Last or just night. be like, oh, my God, it's driving me crazy. <laughs> Tell me about how your writing is going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Deflect. You know, deflect onto deflect, them. Lie. <laughs> Which sounds really horrible, but like publishing is just the like an industry wide version of the like when you run into like an old friend in the grocery store and you're like, oh, my God, we should totally get coffee sometime. And yeah. they're like, oh, my God, totally. And then you both know that you never will. That's what like, publishing is. But like as a business, I feel like I could sit here and make a flow chart out of the concept of like, why haven't I read your book yet? You know, and like it would, <laughs> you'd have like all these different variants on the answer. Um, like, is it but, out yet? Yes. Is it out yet? No. <laughs> you, you, have, know. you can make like a little graphic. Maybe we should do that. That'd be kind of a That would be thing. a good Decembo thing to do. Um, anyway. Are we ready for the next one? We are. Can I read this one? Please do. Taloon, it may concern. I actually wrote that. The person yeah. who asked the question. You, we didn't were say trying that. it out. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying it out. It felt good, though. Yeah. Taloon, it may concern. Why is it that TV producers don't expect us to remember what happened last week without previously on reminders? And yet book publishers expect us to remember details of a story for a whole year or more. Can't we have a previously in in our books? Pretty please. Did you like my reading voice? I did. That was very, that was should very I, nice. Should I do audiobooks, listeners? <laughs> I think maybe I should. Please at Laura with your opinion of her voice. She'll love that. Um <laughs> But, Except um, if it's about vocal fry. Yeah. Don't do that. Um, but so the question is, and this is actually something I have a fairly, I, you know, I was kind of thinking about it today. And I actually have kind of a fairly developed thought on it. Like there's something different, I think, about watching TV versus reading a book with regard to what you're expected to remember, right? Previously because, on Westworld. Yeah. Because this, this with, and this happened. At least before we get into the idea of binging right like there is a certain time flow to it right like Mm -hmm. it's probably weekly or something like that and so you can kind of expect um you know like television episodes are a serialized format and it's on at a certain time that you aren't expected always to get right right yeah and so i also just think that it's and people are going to get at me for saying this but watching tv is more of a passive act than reading to me Mm. Like you explain can sit, what you mean by that. I mean that you can sit down and you can be totally comatose and just shut your brain down and watch TV more so than you can do that and read a book. I think I believe that that is true. I uh, think yeah. that it's even like prestige television. I think we've sort of worked ourselves into a point of feeling good about watching TV in a way that we might need a slight overcorrection for. Um, I just per- personally, I, I feel still... so, I feel so attacked right now. No, you, don't have, I mean, you know what I mean? Though. Like, and so I have a tendency where I, I, I tend to think that um, some, when you're addressing a TV audience, you know, that reminder is maybe a little bit more helpful because you're also some, you also are controlling the pace of this story like i can read as slowly as i want i can't necessarily unless i'm willing to like stop and rewind or something like that it feels different to me than Mm. and so the reminder feels more like a flow and i all or more of a you know part of the standard flow of a television episode as opposed to a book and the other thing i tend to think is that you know in a series which is kind of what we're talking about here right like um why doesn't book two have a have a reminder page of what happened in book one I would say that that work does happen. It just happens in the book itself. You know what I mean? Like a writer, any writer who's written a book two of anything will tell you that 
they have to spend a little bit of time reminding the getting the reader back up to speed. And it's like it's kind of a delicate dance, right? Like you don't give the full rehash of what happened in the first book, but maybe you know little cues here and there, the finer points you probably have to bring back up again. When you, you introduce know? a new, when you introduce an old new character, yeah. you give a little bit of context about what happened. Like a call, you know, when there's a callback or something, yeah. sometimes you've got to kind of touch on it. And to me, I like that, and I'm kind of against this idea of a too easy information sheet that writers are allowed to kind of stick in the front. Mm. Because I think part of the art of writing a great series is doing so in such a way that does not require your reader to refer to something that's outside the text. What do you think? I mean, I... I, So I work on a lot of series Mm -hmm. um, because I'm in speculative fiction and I work in YA um, and that's a very like in romance which is which are all very series and so I feel like I have different opinions about series depending on what genre they are so like in romance a series is just a bunch of interconnected standalone books for Mm -hmm. the most part there's always Mm -hmm. exceptions um, but for the most part, you can pick that book up. You can p- pick it up whenever. Same with like cozy mysteries mm-hmm. or something like that. You can just pick it up whenever you want. Um, and you'll kind of get that context there because <clears throat> it's, you know, there's there's kind of an overarching structure, but they're all their standalone stories. I think with speculative fiction or things like that, I I feel like it's not detrimental to be like, here was what the climax was. Here is where like everybody left on a personnel like on a like a personnel level. Like here is where everybody was interacting with one another when we left you last. Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes I find that from book one to book two and book two to book three, you maybe change POVs, you change time, yeah. you yeah. change space. Yeah. It doesn't just start right up after the next one. Um, so I I'm not against that idea. Um but I'm also like a TV binger. So Well the like, binge makes this interesting. The binge makes it interesting. So like but so the thing is is like I can binge television, right? Like I don't have normal channels. I have to watch things on streaming services which really only get put on there after there's an entire season or multiple seasons or an entire series. And so my main piece of media that I use or that I consume in a serial format are books. And yeah. sometimes you have to wait a year to two, three, write the book, George, <laughs> 15 years in between projects. Oh, George. In between projects. And I feel like it could be useful, especially for, I mean, I think it would be very unwieldy for somebody like George R. R. Martin. However, however, I think that there's a real reason why it doesn't happen. And I think that there's, like, for publishers, there's already a, like, product by drop off because you know it just takes so long to write a book and to produce a book and to market a book um you're always going to lose a significant part of your readership between book one and book two usually it levels off between books two three four five etc like usually the the readership levels off um but a lot of people just read the first one and then they don't feel the need to go back and so in a lot of ways um, putting everything that happened in that first one in the second book is not aiding the people who are still reading because the people who are still reading are invested. But what it does is it does shut down the 
multiple products for purchase because then people can just pick up the second book and go, okay, that happened in the first book and then only read the second one and then it's just the problem is the same. Mm-hmm. So I think that that is maybe the the reason that it doesn't happen. I will say that this thing sort of unofficially exists and it's called an overly uh, summarized Goodreads book review. (laughs) (laughs) So like if you go on to book read or if you go on to book reads, if you go into Goodreads, the, um, you know, like usually the top rated reviews that will be like spoilers. Yeah. Like usually that just tells you everything that happened in the book. And that's pretty dope. Yeah. Um, If that is something that you need or you need to rehash it with somebody. You're still so the thing for me though is this still creates a situation where a writer is allowed to cheat a little bit. They're allowed to like set up the context yeah. in a way that is outside the book. Like, for instance, let's take let's even take George's work, like Game of Thrones. Right? When you watch those shows, what happens at the beginning of every episode? You have the previously on segment, and you get a little montage of stuff that happens. But it's more than just a catch up. It's a telegraph of what's coming. Mm. Right, like it tells you what's important. It tells in you the it, episode. It says, "Oh, this is going to be a chap. This is going to be an episode that features this character because I have. They just reminded me, you know. And so it does have some forward movement capabilities, and I just tend to think that unless that suddenly becomes a more like artistic form, the previously on, and maybe it could be. I mean, I, you know, as I say, maybe it, like, that is what the brand would would a prologue should really be. That is what a prologue should really be, but. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's an interesting question. But I guess for me, I think works, even like a second or third book in a series should be able to stand on its own. Not entirely. Obviously, it's part of a series, but it should have its own arc. It should have to do its own work mm. at the beginning of its novel. You know, like, I don't know. I, I guess I tend to be a little bit of a, you'll, you won't believe this, but a little bit of a hard and fast, you know, adherent to the way things. The old timey <laughs> rules. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, should we do the next one? I think we should. This is This is the spicy one. This is, listeners, this is a spicy meatball, as they say. (laughs) Um, So this was an email that came in to us before the existence of this segment, but we've sort of kind of repurposed it as a means of, because it kind of fits this, um, the mold. So here we go. I've enjoyed listening to your podcast as well as a few others hosted by agents. As an author, I understand the importance of connecting through Twitter. However, I am often dismayed at the amount of time it seems some agents, not my new one, off, uh, spend on Twitter and not necessarily on writing type of, on writing type subjects. I would see my now ex-agent on there all the time, ranting about politics, pushing her own writing clinics, engaging in meaningless exchanges, and I couldn't help but think, hey, get off of Twitter and get to my manuscript that's been sitting on your desk for six months. Combine that with the Daniel Smith debacle, and it really leaves me feeling that the whole industry is stacked against the very people who make their jobs possible, the authors. Our hands are tied. We have to trust that our agents are acting as quickly and as honestly as possible. We we wait ridiculous amounts of time. I don't know. It just feels like the publishing business does not even earn the right to be called a business because in no other business would you dream of waiting six months to reply to someone, etc. That is a spicy meatball. So this is my thing with this um, because you have to kind of look at what underlies, I think, a note like this. Mm -hmm. You know, because there's a lot of... Um, obviously I think, you know, we could both sit here and list off all the reasons why, you know, a social media presence and why, you know, um, is not like, and right. Like it's an like part antithetical of, it's to like the, part the of the, the modern agenting job, you know, and I think I would even suspect that this 
um, you know, as you know, this writer acknowledges at the beginning, you know, this person understands that too. And but there's there's sort of this underlying frustration, right, that I do actually totally get, which is that um, you have to trust at some point as you're watching someone publicly whatever it is be watching to all the boys i've loved before (laughs) you know yeah that that was a thing i don't even i don't even know what it is it's a netflix i've never even heard of it but you guys are every single agent in my feed is like on this i i'll just bite my tongue about it. your (laughs) heart will explode in your chest and you will cry from happiness anyway so but i guess like it feels to me like what kind of sits at the um, the heart of this one is a certain lack of trust that existed perhaps between this writer and the agent they used to have. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, they kind of mentioned, you know, the, the person they're talking about here, they're, you know, as they've listed their ex-agent, um, clearly this writer didn't like the way they were behaving online, and now they are no longer together. And my guess is that the reason they're no longer together um, is not because of online stuff it's just because of some other general they weren't distrust. a good fit yeah and so like i guess laura you know I, I guess i would ask you as someone who uses you know twitter a lot like do you feel like any of your authors feel like you're online too much um honestly twitter is oftentimes the like fastest way to get in touch with me about really quick things that's the funny because yeah, you do end up working on it because yeah. yeah because like if if i'm online taking a quick break or something yeah. you know what i mean yeah. um and they see that i'm on there and they just have a super quick question or a super quick like little bit of anxiety or something mm-hmm. they can send me a dm and be like hey like just real quick like da 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 and then i will respond really quickly and then that's kind of like taking the place of an email which a lot of the time you know requires a lot more mental and emotional energy for me to get to and like actual time well, for me to get to it's more often to another form of work communication which is like my exactly. biggest gripe with the format now is i can <laughs> log on and suddenly i'm like all i'm doing is working it's terrible but yeah. the point the, the reason i ask yeah. is because i think that you would probably confidently say and correct me if i'm wrong that your authors probably don't think that you use the internet too much despite I agree with that. Because, and I think that's because they trust you. Because you have a relationship online and off that suggests that they know that however you're spending your time, however your day breaks down, you are doing enough for them elsewhere. Right? Like most every author understands that not every waking moment of an agent's life is going to be spent on their book. Sometimes I just need to like talk about this beautiful (laughs) Netflix film that I just watched. Um that, that film, by the way, has morphed into this space where I now refuse to watch it. Like, every, certain things will just enter I'm dragging you down into the basement, <laughs> into the den, and making you watch this film. Um, um, yeah, and so, okay, and just to be clear, when I say, when Eric says that my authors trust me, um, it's not because I respond to people in less than six months. Like, oftentimes, if you send me a manuscript and you, your, like, first book is in production or it's on submission or it's doing something else you know like if we're like if if this book isn't like if it's not necessary to our business plan for me to get this book out right now like if i have your book out on submission your first book and you send me your second book i'm gonna prioritize your you, first book you've got a minute to look at that other one in a yeah little bit. i've got yeah. a ton of time to look at that so like yeah. if you're an author who you know and we've sold a three or four book series and you come at me with this whole brand new project we've got time for that and so the thing is is i think that there's a lot of 
dissatisfaction with authors, particularly about like how fast publishing moves versus how fast they move versus how fast their agent moves. And so like, I think an agent in a lot of ways is in between those things, you know? So sometimes Mm -hmm. when they can, they just move as slow as publishing does, which is really fucking slow. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you need to hustle, they will hustle for you like a normal person, like in a normal job, right? Yeah, that's and plus. and so I think that like maybe a big part of this is communication. Like maybe your agent isn't communicating like how prioritized your project is, and that doesn't mean they don't prioritize you or your career. That just means that like in the grander scheme of things, like I as an individual, I'm not going to break my neck when I'm working for you in other ways. To get this back to you right now, because like the faster we move on this, you know, like the more you're going to drive yourself crazy once you're already done with it and then just sitting there and I can't sell it for another six months because it doesn't fit. Well, it just it feels like you're kind of speaking to this idea that um, there's all sorts of things in play that would make you go fast or slow. Yeah. With certain things. That's true. And the simple fact that sometimes like the Internet has made it such that. The time you're not spent, you're not spending working on someone's book is now a little bit more public. Yeah, you know? that's true. It's suddenly that kind of throws people. And I get where that frustration comes from. Um, but I, I guess I would just say that my suspicion is that the reason this relationship didn't work out has more to do with kind of the, just the ongoing dynamic between these two people. Yeah. Maybe, you know, and to, to be clear, I mean that from the perspective of it sounds to me like the author wasn't getting what they needed. Yeah. out of this person like I'm, and so that manifested I'm on team, in yeah in, i'm on team author on this email like i get why like the the frustration underlying it is is reasonable i think but i think that getting frustrated with how your agent is using social media purely because i mean if they're saying bad things that's one thing but just the simple fact of them using it a lot is not necessarily something i would treat as like a sign of disrespect or anything um but I don't know. So, I mean, it creates this interesting question. Yeah. Like, you know, are agents, you know, working or not when they, you know, go online? And the answer is, you know, when I'm on there, yes, I am working. When I am debating <laughs> whether or not Yoshi is a horse, I'm working. <laughs> when I'm figuring I think out. Yoshi's a dinosaur. When I'm figuring out which New York Times colonists I'd like to put in a clown cannon and fire into the sun, I'm that's me doing my job. That's very much on the clock time. And it needs to be respected. <laughs> <laughs> um I will say, though, Eric, that I think um, there's a lot of the times for writers when they're feeling not supported, Mm -hmm. there's an idea that they're the only ones in a creative space. Like there's there's you know, when you're not feeling supported and you're not feeling good about the people that are around you, it's really easy to think that they're letting you down. In, in a way, because you're just not feeling that, um, which sometimes is true and sometimes is not. But like the thing to remember is like editing is a really, really, really difficult and creative part of this process. Like assessing an author manuscript coming in for content, for quality, for market, for all of these different things. Like it takes it's more than just reading a book. Like it takes a lot of creative um, energy 
and it takes like it, it's it's a long road and it's a and it's a hard process. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and especially because this is an industry full of introverts, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm also busy pitching a book that week and talking to lots of people on the phone and doing a contract like that is a lot of time that I am like, that's a lot of energy and concern that I'm giving out to people. And yep. so like, I am always a really big encourager of authors saying to their agents, Hey, I see this and I know it might not be totally rational, but I'm feeling unsupported and this is just making me feel resentful. Can we talk about how to fix this? That's a reasonable conversation. It's a reasonable and it's a conversation I've had with a very large number of my authors just because like at different times in your publishing career, you are always going to feel unsupported and you're always going to feel like you're alone. But the thing is, is like a good agent will understand that that's going to happen. And that doesn't mean you're trying to break up with you. Yeah. Like and that doesn't mean that they don't think that you're doing a good job. It's just like this is an emotional business. And so a good agent will say. Okay, I understand where you're coming from. What can we do to make you feel better? Yep. And like and then again, like at the core of that though, there's there's trust. Like clearly there's there is no real connection between the fraud that Danielle Smith committed as an agent making up book deals and somebody like talking about how they really hate Trump on Twitter. Like yep. those two things separate, are not related. Separate issues, yeah. Except for those things can, when an author is feeling unsupported, can snowball and kind of get stuck in an individual's mind and make it seem like they don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not true. And so, you know, like I encourage all of you to have those conversations with your authors. You know, like if your needs for communication styles have changed, if they're not being quite as clear with you or as communicative with you, like a lot of the time, like we can't read your minds and we will just like keep our heads down and do our work. And then we won't know that you need that emotional support until you tell us because like that is a key part of our job, but it's not necessarily a part of our job that we think is being the very first thing that we do. Like the very first thing that we do is try to sell your book. You know, the the mentoring and the support is is primary in terms of our goals, but it might be secondary in terms of what's at the forefront of our mind. And so I would say, you know, if if being on if being logged on makes you nervous, log log off a little bit, you know, and if you know, like and I am not recommending to any agents to you know, spend less time talking about how this country is evolving into like a fascist regime, like because I feel like that's important and you're a human and this is social media and like I don't feel like my personal brand needs to be relegated entirely to publishing, Mm -hmm. nor should anybody's. However, you know, like I think it's also important to think about how that is impacting those around you. Mm -hmm. Would you like to read the last one? I would. Dear Looney... (laughs) I also wrote that. I was just trying it out. You wrote that? <laughs> I did. <laughs> Man, I was so charmed that someone wrote us. I like that you're like giving us different. Well, I, this is our first time that we've done this. You want people to see what they can try out. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, like I one, one request. One request that I have to the people writing these messy, messy questions to us. Mm-hmm. Please, please sign it with creative acronyms yeah, we want that. the way yeah. that like dear abby does sleepless in seattle you know we, yeah. we, we want that like i want all of that or like when it says when like the the um 
Yeah, where like the the initials spell something like I don't know. Yeah. D and D or something. I don't know. Like anything. Uh, yeah, anything. Yeah. Like surprise me, charm <laughs> me. I would love that. All okay. Right. Dear Looney. Great artistic flourish thanks. on your part. Okay, good. <laughs> I recently joined my first critique, critique group online. I finished two full drafts before I even started looking and made sure each chapter is as good as I can get it before I submit. The problem is my critique partners haven't done the same. They submit first and second drafts asking for critiques when they're only a few chapters in. Their feedback has been so helpful, but I struggle with not being too harsh in my comments for the place they're at. I don't want them to get stuck constantly revising the early chapters and never finish. What kinds of feedback should I focus on? I see them making the same mistakes each chapter, even if it's not important for the first draft. Should I point it out so they can avoid it in the next chapters? Hmm. Well, so this gets at something that... I know that I've experienced having like taking writing courses in college and stuff where I'm I'm like this author where I like to tinker a ton. You wouldn't even let me t- you before, wouldn't even tell me what your book was about before, until you were like done with the third draft. <laughs> before anyone like I really like to be um as like 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 this person says like why show it to someone else when it isn't as good as you yourself can make it. You know right. what I mean? Like I I'm a big believer in that too. Obviously, that's different. It's different for different people, but that as a per, as a writer myself, that's what I like to do, and I totally get this frustration where it's very clear that other people aren't doing the same. They're sending in in progress things, they're sending in messy things that have obvious flaws, and that they're looking for kind of more preliminary feedback on. And I guess, like, I would say. Um, I mean, the first thing is that I'm glad that the feedback you're getting has been helpful. That yeah. it would be one thing if that what their advice was terrible too. You then know, I would say that you're not a good a new, fit. Then I would say get a new group. But it sounds like the group is good. And what I would just say um, is when when a page is so messy line by line or something, or when there's such obvious flaws and you don't want to keep correcting them over and over again in critique. To me, the way and this comes from doing a lot of freelance edits too, like. I would start focus on like bigger picture stuff, you know, ask about where it's going, ask about, you know, how, you know, a certain scene plays into the larger picture of the book. Like oftentimes the way to not have to be so transfixed by an immediate obvious flaw that you recognize and, you know, clearly these are smart people who you're getting good feedback from. They probably can see it to some extent, too. Um, focus on things that aren't on the page. You know, mm-hmm. say, well, hey, you know, this is really interesting. Is this going to set something else up? And if so, should it be presented in a certain way? But you can get past that chapter. You can get them. Um, you can get them moving forward in a way, or thinking forward in a way that is probably useful. You know, like if the pages are rough in an obvious way that they're easily able to go fix themselves, and it's not like it's not useful for you to like point out the obvious inconsistency that yeah. everyone in, like. Get past it. Start helping them think about bigger things related to the story that maybe they aren't thinking about yet. It would be my advice. So I feel for me, there are a couple of different ways critique critique groups can function. Like I think that this author's natural inclination is I'm going to use this critique group to push myself farther than I can go myself. Yeah. Right? Which is great and perfectly valid. Mm -hmm. Um, Other people need other people's creative energy in their process to really make it work the way that they 
you know, mm-hmm. intend, mm-hmm. right? You need somebody else asking you hard questions before you've done all of the work because, you know, people write differently and people's brains work differently. And so a lot of the time, those authors are looking more for help and input with direction and kind of larger scale things. And if you have a critique group made up with both of these types of people, then that can be really helpful, but it can also be really frustrating. And so I think, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of writer you are if you're getting good feedback. That's the first thing. Yeah, that, um, that part of the equation seems to be working. That seems to person. be working, which I'm really, really happy about. But I think, you know, if if you're working, if you're worried about being too harsh in your in your comments and making them, you know, rework and rework chapters, um, I I would definitely echo Eric, you know, talk a little bit instead of, you know, this sentence is awkward. Maybe talk about, hey, I noticed that this is a crutch word of yours that Mm -hmm. you use a ton all over the place. And like you can draw attention to those bigger craft errors and kind of help with them because like that is also the point of critique, right? Is that if you keep working, you learn your own blind spots as a writer. And so the next time you write a project it will be cleaner than the time before. And so you are wanting to do that. But instead of like relieve yourself, writer, relieve yourself of the burden to completely fix somebody else's work. Like you like just the human brain can't take that much feedback all at once. You know, like you can't revise a like a shitty first draft into a perfect, you mm. know, second draft mm. if somebody gives you all of the little steps. Like there needs to be different versions and different versions. Yeah. And so it seems like your fellow writers don't have a problem getting things written. And so look at it in terms of, okay, we can refine this and make it really, really tight and really good later. But I'm really concerned about character. I'm concerned about flow. I'm concerned about things. plot. Yeah. I'm concerned about, you know, those crutch words or, you know, like a dialogue that doesn't do anything or something. Um, but really, really, really make sure that you're focusing on the larger part of the story. Because I think that that's what your partner is looking for. And mm-hmm. it might be worth it before they start on a new project. Ask them and like have a good conversation with the rest of your group saying, okay, this is where I'm at in drafting my story. This is the kind of stuff that I'm looking for, you know, and the people who are looking for ideas and direction will say so. And the mm-hmm. people that are looking for, you know, pushing on specific craft pieces will also say so. Yep. And so if you set those expectations right up front, you know, we tell people all the time when you get beta readers that are like lay people to say, OK, mark where you are really enjoying the story, mark where you got bored, mark all of these mm-hmm. different places. You're giving them directions because otherwise they're going to be like, it's really good or I didn't really like it that much, but I don't know why. Yeah. And so you got to give them direction because otherwise, you know, you just can't expect everybody else to look at it like you are. OK, so. That brings us to the end of this first round of whatever we're calling it. We whatever have we're calling name it. Yet. We don't have a name yet. Dear Looney. Um, <laughs> dearest. Dearest. My dearest Loon. Let's make it sound like, yeah, 18th century like war letters. Yeah. Yeah. My dearest Big Bird. Hmm. Yeah. Um, Things my, have gotten. My dearest red-eyed hero. <laughs> Uh, anyway, <laughs> now it's time to talk about the pub tip, which I feel we've touched on a teensy weensy little bit because uh, mm-hmm. we did talk about series before. Um, but our pub tip 
this week is about pitching. Yep. Right? So just like we were talking about before, um, you can't sell the series. Like, nobody's going to be interested in the second book, third book, fourth book of a series unless they are interested in the first book. Mm-hmm. Right? There's kind of a... There's you need to you need to grab them in that first project. And so when you're pitching something that you're seeing as a three book series, as a 10 book series, write the book, George. Um, But when you're seeing it like that, uh, it's really important that that first book will stand alone, partially because the financial performance of how this first book does um, will impact whether or not. Uh, the publisher will take on the next projects, but also it's important because, you know, we want this book to be able to sell by itself. Mm-hmm. Um, we want it to be able to sell by itself. So the terminology that we use here, and if you listen to our query shows, you will know this. When you're pitching a book, say that it is a standalone with series potential. Yeah. Even if you're already done with the second book, even if you couldn't possibly imagine how somebody would only want the first one, it is always a standalone with series potential. The point is you're always, like, even as you've envisioned this big grand series for yourself, in that moment, in that letter, you really are still selling an individual book. Um, it's, like, no matter how, like, I, I get a lot of query letters. I don't even do that many series. Um, but... You get, I get a lot of letters that, like, promise all these big things happening in books, you know, two, three, and four. And the problem with that, like, you really are being evaluated first and foremost. On this first one. As though this novel is going to stand by itself. And so you want to pitch it that way. And you want to make sure that it's clear that even if it's going to, and even if it has, you know, another book slated in mind, or maybe you've been working on it, that the thing you are, you're putting all of your energy into making sure this first book as a solo unit gets sold. So. Excellent. So remember, it's a standalone with series potential, and make sure to join us later this week for a synopsis show, and we will see you for a regular episode next week on Wednesday. Goodbye. Goodbye.